Hi, I'm Tasha Weeks. And I'm Kelly Guyton. Welcome to Culturally Yours Mental Health. We will discuss all things mental health for people of color. Let's create our own narratives for our own experiences that affect us mentally, emotionally, physically, and spiritually. Be informed. Be supported. Be empowered. Welcome to episode one on Black Mental Health History. We're going to talk uh, about giving a brief history on the foundations of mental health professions, uh, those who started it, which were white males. And we're going to also discuss the building founders perspective to connect it to how they approach the development of mental health. So we have a few here we're going to mention and then some we're going to expand on. Right. So starting with Sigmund Freud. Um, I'm sure many of you have heard of him. If not, he is considered the father of psychoanalysis. He was the medical doctor and psychologist. Freud developed a set of theories for studying the unconscious mind, personality, memory, and sexuality. He had many students under him that also shaped the development of psychoanalysis and psychotherapy. Alfred Adler, for example, he is the founder of Adlerian psychology, also called individual psychology. He is considered mm-hmm. the first community psychologist because it brought attention to community life, prevention, and population health. Now, there's a few that there's also like William James, Carl Roger, and B.F. Skinner. Mm-hmm. Um, Beck is, or Aaron T. Beck, you know, I want to get his name right because he's responsible for cognitive behavioral therapy. Okay. And that's a, a pretty big one that a lot right. of clinicians today use. Very popular. Mm-hmm. And he too, you know, he's, you know, a, a descendant, we'll say, from from Austria. Okay, so he's actually from Rhode Island, but his parents are Jewish immigrants from Austria. Mm-hmm. And one thing I do want to point out is that a lot of the founders were from Austria, which mm-hmm. I found very interesting and surprising. Yes, I did not know that either. That was a very interesting little notion we discovered. Mm-hmm. Um, Beck, however, you know, one thing that I also was surprised to find out when I was in school is that he was still alive when we were learning about him. Yes. That was still alive and still um, like still studying. Yeah, still <laughs> so, studying, still researching. Yeah, that was that was wild. And like to see videos about him because he died in 2021. He was born 1921 and died in ni- in 19 <laughs> 20 <laughs> <laughs> And that's to see just even me just kind of tripping up on that because everyone else was literally a past. And Beck was still, you know, very much in our present at the time. Right. He lived a hundred. Yeah. You know, and his his kids continue his work, um, but he he in his earlier research he actually was trying to validate uh, psychoanalytic constructs. However, later in his life, he ended up learning that his research actually refuted the underlying tenets of psychoanalytic theory. So instead of furthering confirming the psychoanalytic theory that depressed clients uh, felt an innate need to suffer, that was a theory. Dr. Beck's initial studies uh, with depressed patients seem to point to underlying negative beliefs associated with loss and failure. So hold on. Let me get this right. Mm-hmm. This man, Dr. Beck, yep, basically said that depressed people want to be depressed and suffer? Well, the, 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 the going theory at the time. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so as he was trying to like reaffirm that, he actually found something else. I bet. <laughs> I bet he did. <laughs> he found something else. 
And so what he started to understand is that these underlying beliefs were consistent with the patient's automatic thoughts, which could be evaluated collaboratively in session. Okay. okay? And so he moved his patients from the couch to the chair. So that was a thing back then where patients would sit on the couch, not really facing the clinician or their, their doctor and receive services. And I think people still have that view of what therapy is, especially with new movies still kind of portray it that way, where mm-hmm. you have the, the doctor sitting in the chair with his legs crossed in a notebook and a, the patient or the client is just laying on the couch looking at the ceiling. Right. There's a, yeah. a disconnect there. Yeah. You know, and, and it's not. Today, therapy is much more, you know, that rapport building and mm-hmm. connecting, you know, still maintain that professionalism. But, you know, that's that that's that human touch. Yeah. You know, that's yeah. that part that we really connect to. So for Dr. Beck, when he did that move, almost, I want to say quite literally, moving from the, from the, chair, from the couch to the chair, um, where he worked with them to examine their automatic thoughts and identifying cognitive distortions. Or, you know, one of the ways that cognitive distortions are known, like the way that's unhelpful thinking styles yeah, is, yeah. A, is a more of a layman's term. It's very um, the irrational thoughts that we have. Right. And so this is the key that, um, so moving, moving, basically moving the client or, you know, back then, the patient um, from the couch, you know, and from the from the couch to the chair, mm-hmm. okay, you know, continue to help with exploring these automatic thoughts and bringing the, the client into the whole healing process, right. you know, and not, yeah. you know, move from that disconnect. Um, so he helped patients correct uh, negative um, information processing biases. So that that negative self-talk, those negative mm-hmm. thoughts that we have about ourselves or maybe our beliefs even, you know, he was able to help them correct that that line of thinking and beliefs or also known as negative core beliefs. But, yeah. you know, things like that um, and help them feel better and be more engaged and be more adapt and, and be more engaged and use adaptive behaviors, mm-hmm. helpful, adaptive behavior. Right. Um, and I like to pair helpful and appropriate and healthy yes, <laughs> you know because, like to, because <laughs> adaptive doesn't mean that it's healthy right so we can go from one unhealthy adaptive behavior to the next exactly you know we're adaptive creatures with but sometimes we adapt to things that become obsolete to our environment so yeah. it's important to adapt to what's going to be helpful absolutely you know yeah. um so he ended up calling this whole new theory cognitive therapy which you know we now call cognitive behavioral therapy because mm-hmm. we're also talking about behavioral changes too and so, right. So as you can see, the history of founders Im- impacted the theories they created because it was a direct result of their own individual lives and their experiences as white males. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and as you know, Tasha was pointing out earlier, they're all coming from Austria, so they don't quite have all of these different cultural perspectives. Right. They just have their their own. Right. And so the foundation of mental health did not include culture whatsoever. Not um, at all. Not cultural norms, not cultural differences. It was just non-existent. But you know what? I'll, I'll even go a little bit further and say other cultures were not considered. It's just just their own. Because, their you know, own, oftentimes yeah. we act out of what we know and out of our own culture, you know? So if we were to go to another place, we're like, oh, why would they do that? Because that's their norm. You know, that's part of their culture. And so, but what, what made it worse is that not only did they exclude but they also dehumanize others. Mm-hmm. Um, key examples to that is um, the way they created white laws um, just for them, um, the rights that were created that was just for them, mm-hmm. um, even down to what it means to be human. 
they mm-hmm. made sure that they excluded um, people of color and they only um, related to being white. Mm-hmm. Pretty much, you know, they it was definitely a um... deep sigh. Yeah, <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of words came up. <laughs> A lot of I words. Felt that. I felt that. <laughs> it was. It was definitely. I can go with. I, I can say unfortunate, but it was. It got to a point where it was quite intentional. Yeah. It was quite yeah. intentional. Yeah. Um, and that's that's what we're we're gonna really highlight in ways that mm-hmm. that was intentional. So they they definitely went quite the length to um mm-hmm. when they created these laws and these different definitions and rights. And um, the portrayal of people of color in literature has generally taken a form of stereotyping them as deficient or lacking in mm-hmm. certain desirable attributes. Which is wild, just like the, the, the turn of phrase, desirable attributes, you mm-hmm. know, what's desirable to them or, or for them, not given that what we have already that's, that, that exists innately, you know, in our different culture and how it gets expressed right. is also desirable. And they, and, they, and they still do that to this day. It reminds me of um, a report on the news, and it still circulates every now and then, every year, how they had, like, the who voted the most desirable face. And mm. I think it was Kate Middleton. Mm. And <laughs> the news anchors, um, they were mostly Black, and the facial expressions that they made was just like, Desirable to who, to who? who voted for this? Because <laughs> how? Yeah, how? right, right. Because it, it's it's not that's that's once again setting another white standard. Yeah, yeah, that we don't fit in. No, no, and so and it's 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 really unfortunate that we that there is mm-hmm. you know a certain set of boxes and standards that everyone is supposed to fit in, and no, that I think that. That undermines the beauty of various cultures. Mm-hmm. And so I, I really don't like the whole concept of the boxes and the certain standards of things. Right. And so as we're speaking about history, a perfect example, right, is the inequality of Darwin's natural selection was used to support the genetic mm-hmm. intellectual superiority of whites and the genetic inferiority of the lower races. And the fact that you use lower races is like... Why? Why does that term exist? They love using different terms to make it well, seem well, less. Well, we know why. Yeah. So, the classic work of Thomas and Stillen refers to this as a scientific racism, mm-hmm. and cites several historical examples to support this concentration. Mm-hmm. So, census figures from 1840 were fabricated, they were mm-hmm. used to support the notion that Blacks living under unnatural conditions of freedom were prone to anxiety. Unnatural conditions of freedom were prone to anxiety. And they created these unnatural conditions in the first place, did they not? Y'all can't see me, but I'm over here like, <laughs> you know, throwing my hands up like, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, you know, because... It's, it's an acknowledgement that yeah. once when one's environment is not meeting their even the most innate or basic, excuse me, their most basic needs, you know, that can create a level of anxiety. Mm-hmm. And then, which we're going to talk about in a moment about how that can have effect on the human psyche, you know, and, and what it means to be human and whatnot. Naturally, we're, we're going to experience anxiety. And when I say we, I mean we as people, mm-hmm. not we as black people, we as people of color, but we as a, we as a, we as a uh, people. 
um, having that kind of human experience. And yet through this foundation, that's just, that's the kind of thing that's getting ignored. Mm-hmm. Another um, historical example of scientific racism is um, they basically said that mental health for blacks were, was contentment with subservience. They basically were saying that black people, uh, we couldn't have mental health issues because we are happy to serve. Yes, sir. Yes, master. How could I be upset when I am doing what I was born to do? I live to, to serve. Yeah. This is what I was born and made to do. You know, being taught to to believe yeah. that. You Psy- know. Psychologically normal blacks were faithful and happy-go-lucky. Mm-hmm. That was the, the supposed theory. <laughs> we're going to go with that. <laughs> <laughs> Um, another is influential medical journals presented fantasies as facts, supporting the belief that an- anatomical, mm-hmm. neurological, mm-hmm. and endocrinological mm-hmm. aspects of blacks were always inferior to whites. Yes. So when we say the influential medical journals, we're talking about through through the gosh, I'm trying to think about how many years ago. You know, this is historically. Yeah. Medical journals, you know, nowadays we, we can we can try and say some of that in the medical journals um, and I'll leave it there. We can try. Yeah. Um, we all know that the myth that black person's brains are smaller and less developed. Mm-hmm. Blacks were less prone to mental illness because their minds were so simple. Mm-hmm. The dreams of blacks are juvenile in character and not as complex as those of white. This was something that was being talked about, pushed and Yeah, as fact. As facts. Okay. While mental health was being developed. Mm-hmm. So while you have white people receiving, you know, services, you know, black people are considered, well, what they're going through is part of, you know, they want, they want to serve and no, they can't be experiencing these types of feelings because they're, they're happy and faithful mm-hmm. and their brains aren't developed enough mm-hmm. for this. And if they have any, any goals or dreams, it's, it's it's not quite possible because those are the kind of things that only white people can can muster. Yes. So another point in history that I also wanted to point out was the Tuskegee experiment. Mm-hmm. Um back in nineteen thirty two to nineteen seventy-two. The US mm. public health more than more than six hundred Alabama black men were used as guinea pigs to study the damage that would happen to the body if syphilis was left untreated. Now, this was done purposely. On purpose. Okay. <sighs> and this is like a perfect example of just being dehumanized. Mm-hmm. Like we don't even, we're not even going to look at you as, as people. Um, we're just like generations and generations of... You already don't experience the same emotions. You already yeah. don't have the same brain function as us, you know. And so now we get to, you know, test on you because, you know, to, to further ourselves. Yeah. Okay. Which we're going to talk about in a little bit moment, how that, how that comes up. Again. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to that type of research, it led to, you know, the oh, Belmont report. The Belmont report. Yeah. That was created, um, six years later after the Tuskegee experiment in 1978. Um, they had to, they had to create three basic principles, respect for persons, beneficence and mm-hmm. justice. Mm-hmm. The U.S. FDA's National Commission for the Protection of Human Subjects for Biomedical and Behavioral Research highlighted the ethical principles and guidelines for the protection of human research subjects. They literally had to create this to protect 
people, basically people of color, because if it wasn't for that, like it wouldn't exist. It, well, there's there's a, there's a whole lot more that went on in, in between for this to happen, right, of I'm course. Sure. But you know, we're gonna be honest with y'all. We only got but so much time because you know, we, <laughs> we spent a lot of time talking about all of this history here of the wrongs that were done to people of color. Um, but we really wanted to really make it be clear, like you know, give you guys some examples of how some pretty terrible things that took place, and now there are some some ethical laws and, and rules that are put in place. Yeah. You know, but it's just it. This just shows how unfortunate that we can't just lean on our own moral compass and, and, <laughs> to do the right thing. And and even with the, the ethical laws that are put in place, there are still other instances. Oh where, yeah, absolutely. You know, our our rights aren't being respected. It, it doesn't stop. Okay, so you know, going to Henrietta Lacks. Okay, she was a mother of five when she went to the hospital, uh, the John Hopkins Hospital. You know, complaining of vaginal bleeding. At the time, you know, John Hopkins was one of the few hospitals that could treat African-Americans. Okay. Mm-hmm. So not a lot of hospitals were treating African-Americans. Options were limited. Okay. And so Henrietta Lacks was diagnosed with a non-cancerous tumor that was being treated for, um, not for, but with radium treatments. Okay. And that um, was considered the best medical treatment at the time, people. So I know radium is highly toxic. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. But at the time, that's what they had. And that was as far as their science went. So a sample of her cancer cells were retrieved during a biopsy. And they were sent to Dr. George um, Gay's uh, um, tissue lab, okay, which was close by. And then for years, um, Dr. Gay, you know, a prominent cancer and virus researcher, had been collecting cells from all patients. So he wasn't trying to discriminate. He was just doing his research. Mm-hmm. However, um, he was looking at... Um, in the process of, you know, looking at or not looking at, but rather including the race and socioeconomic status, all of that, all those types of patients that were coming in through John Hopkins with cervical cancer. Um, but each sample pretty much died, right? Right. So they weren't lasting. He was coming, he was hitting a roadblock. So what he did um, was later he really discovered that um, Henrietta Lacks cells were unlike any other ones that he has ever seen because they would not die. Okay. Um, her cells doubled actually. Okay. Every 20 to 24 hours, which was later called the HeLa cells. Okay. So from the first two letters of her last name and last name, they were used to, to name the cells. Okay. And they were, those, those cells went on to help, um, to study the effects of toxins, drugs, hormones, viruses on the growth of cancer cells without experimenting on humans. Um, they have been used to test the effects of radiation and poisoning and to study the human genome, to learn more about how viruses work and played a crucial role in the development of the polio and COVID-19 vaccines. Mm. Okay. And let me be clear, y'all. It's not like they got permission from her. Right. Or her family. Because to this day, they're still fighting for the rights to her body, literally her body. Mm -hmm. body. This is part of her body. Yeah. You know, Um, and she ended up, you know, dying later on. You know, later on, she died at 31, which I was really surprised to hear how young young, she was. And in my mind, she was so much older, but she ended up dying pretty young. You know, this also makes me think about, it makes me think about how, um, how they have the black market and they sell like mm-hmm. lungs and kidneys and mm-hmm. and all these um, organs and where where are they getting these organs from? You know, black bodies and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and I know this is more of the medical side. It sounds like, but this is just 
we really just want to ex- amplify the dehumanization of people mm-hmm. of color. And this is mm-hmm. part of it. And this definitely plays a part of role in our own um, psyche, our mental health. Mm-hmm. Okay. So race and ethnicity are often used inac- in- inaccurately and mm-hmm. have been scientifically disproven. They were designed for racist practices. Mm-hmm. Example, the word Caucasian is a common term to describe white people. Yep. The term comes from Blumenbach's racial classification system in which he proposed. Well, he proposed that God created Caucasians in his own image as the race. Okay. Which, again, that's part of just that superiority, you know, which led to, okay, let's, since we're still superior, okay, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. then we can take these cells. We can make these, we can do these Tuskegee experiments. We can yeah, sell these right. organs right, right. because, you know, we're superior. We got to take these things so we can continue to advance ourselves kind of concept. That's, at least that's what I take from this. No, that's what I'm hearing. This is exactly what I'm hearing too. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, what Blumenbach ended up um designating other races that he deemed inferior to describe everyone else, you know, like uh, Mongolian and Malayan and Negroid, those types of concepts. Mm -hmm. Um, And then his system was later used to justify black enslavement in the U S. Okay. So his social construct of race has a lasting effect. Okay. He is not only, he's not the only one. Okay. There are other sources like Willie Lynch and more. Okay. There are multiple systems designed. Okay. Um, white supremacy is a real in amount. Um, it's real. Okay. It's a very real, it's a real concept that exists. And the amount of melanin that a person has in their skin signals something to the world about societal norms that has, uh, or excuse me, that will be applied, you know, to them or to their presumed race. Okay. So for example, uh, societal norms, the vestiges of colonization and enslavement practice, um, practices that value light skin over dark skin. Mm. The societal norms promote messages that white are the ideal race, you know, which then puts people of color in, um, in, in the non-ideal box. Mm-hmm. These messages, they, they, they trickle down into our media, our schools, our families, and our communities. Okay? And other social constructs, uh, excuse me, another social construct of race is, is just wholly um, unjust and unfair. Yeah, absolutely. You know, so this is this is what I mean. Like, even though we're talking about the foundation, like this stuff like builds over right. the generations right. and it becomes these subtle messages. Okay, sure, we put up, you know, the Belmont report and these ethical and legal mm-hmm. um barriers, but the 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 psychological part is still happening, saying that you are still inferior. Right. And you were not enough. You no, you do not look like us, so therefore you are Right. And not- it's and it's it's so ingrained in U.S. history, um, in the foundation of our history, not even just um, mental health, but we point it out because it affects our mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, our self-esteem, yeah, the our co- self-worth. The colorism, the Willie Lynch laws, um, the, hum- the, hu- the humanization, all these different terms that they coin to make us feel less than to view ourselves as less than mm-hmm. it's still very much a challenge mm-hmm. like even even when we do the like the concept of colorism mm-hmm. you know i think that's that's a, a pretty 
day-to-day one, like, cause we, we sometimes say things like, and we're joking, like, oh, you so light skin kind of yeah. thing. But when we say, oh, you're so light skin, what we're really saying is, oh, because you think you're better than, and you think you're better than because mm-hmm. your skin is closer to someone that is white. Right. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that naturally puts someone who, who, um, is that naturally puts someone who is not supposedly light skin, if you will, as inferior. Mm-hmm. So the, the further you are from this white skin, the more inferior you are. And that gets picked up on, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, especially our young children, like they pick up on those certain things. They may not be able to comprehend or articulate what's going on, but they feel that, you know, and so it's important to, to understand that what's going on in the cultures, how things have started so that when we're trying to talk to one another, help one another out, we can be a little more mindful about the language that we use and treat each other, you know, respecting mm-hmm. our cultures and treat each other through our own, through the human experiences that we're having. Okay. So, you know, that really, you know, lends itself to really being clear about the concept of what it means to be human. Correct. All right. And this, <coughs> and this can change. It varies depending on the person. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, mm-hmm. It varies depending on the lens, the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, anthropologically, it, it is defined as vitalpealism. Um, using language, tool making, mm-hmm. medically, the development of the heart and the head philosophically is due to our ability to reason, to rationalize, to have that self-awareness. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some philosophers would say, or at least one of the philosophers would say, like, all of our knowledge begins with the senses and proceeds then to the understanding and the ends with reason. Mm-hmm. And then in psychology. It is the study of the mind and human behavior. From there, mm-hmm. a variety of approaches are developed to address mental health issues that can develop. So um, that tells me, the, depending on the um, the person, the person who's developing these psychological interventions, um, it goes based off their own views on what they feel like is normal human behavior to them. Mm-hmm. And that can change. And I, and we see it over time using the word norm. Mm-hmm. And that, that varies. That varies because that what's normal to you is not normal to me and vice right. versa. Right. And, and so, and, and that's important to be aware of because, you know, sometimes we inadvertently, mm-hmm. you know, can, I won't say cause, cause harm, but can offend. Yeah can offend because you don't want to be judgmental mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you know because you know we operate from our own norm mm-hmm. through our own lenses mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> you know um so even though that these you know white western concerts concepts um were used to define what it means to be human um what this means can vary from the culture to culture you know so this is important lens that can really help the healing process you know just being aware Mm-hmm. of what how another person perceives through their own cultural lens and then moving forward and you know supporting them you know at least at least just bring that into yes the, i was going to say into the fold so what I, <laughs> to the concept so what i want our listeners to really take away from this episode as we discuss the mental health um, foundations and how we got here how it started um to really really be mindful that it was created by white men 
um, for white people. Mm -hmm. um, we were purposely excluded, um, dehumanized, and told that we aren't allowed to We're have allowed mental to have health feelings. Issues. Yeah. Have feelings, mental health issues, emotions. Um, be of good character. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, and it makes me think about some of the myths and stigmas we have out there. You know, white people problems. Mm -hmm. you know, mental health issues is a white people problem, and it is not. It is a person. It's a, problem. It's a person problem. Yeah. Okay. Um. Because we're we all I, and one of my favorite phrases is human experience. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're so all, we all live in it. We all live in it. We all have feelings. We we all have, um, we all you know using the different definitions. We all walk up right. We we all have language. <laughs> okay, we all make things. We all have awareness. Yeah. Okay. Um, and we all have our own mind and and human behavior, and we all express these things through our cultural lens. Um, so just, just be mindful and just some of the language that gets used in not dehumanizing yourself. Exactly. <laughs> I was literally just thinking that. <laughs> literally. You took you know, out of my, my, my head. You know, um, cause we just, we pick these things up, but we don't realize how these subtleties can quietly get absorbed. Yeah. And it's, and it's not of our own making. It's coming from the white man. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, it's something that can be unlearned. Definitely. Okay, so that you can continue to, um, you know, grow. So we want to we want to leave you with that. Um, stay tuned to the next mm -hmm. episode if you are ready to learn more. Mm -hmm. I hope that you are because we have so much more um, knowledge to give. Yes, remember you know this is this is only the first episode. This so. is just the beginning, and I know you guys was listening. So yeah, there's some things we mentioned in here that we're gonna talk about. You know, through the season. Yeah. Season. Actually. We just can't give everything away one time for one time. So. Right, right, right. So, so you got to come back. You got to come back. <laughs> Thank you, guys. Thank you for listening. All right. Till next time. Be informed. Be supported. Be empowered.